0: Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective, 2020 on Vision.
1: As we do on Wednesday, our Ask Alex segment, Alex Cook, the founder of Wealth with Purpose, an expert on money, an early career in stockbroking, then the founder of a successful financial planning practice, now Wealth with Purpose, helping to equip Christians to honour God with their finances. Alex is back with us. Alex, welcome back to 2020. Hey Neil, great to be back. Alex, 2022, experts will always say we can't predict what's going to happen in the (laughs) short term, nor the long. Uh, It is all oftentimes speculation and prediction, but uh, I guess uh, we need to have some sort of attention to these sorts of things because 2022 is almost upon us. So how can we know what's going to happen next year?
0: Yeah, look, it's a great question and it's always, it's a challenge, you know, financial professionals like me, you know, people come to you wanting to know what's going to happen Um, and the reality is uh, we don't always have those answers. But I think what I'd like to do for listeners is give them a biblical framework for the future and how we should think about it. And there's two fantastic uh, Bible passages um, that I think really help us to understand how we should digest when people tell us what they think is going to happen. So the first one's a great one in the Book of Ecclesiastes, so it's chapter eight, verse seven. It says, "Since no one knows the future, who can tell someone else what is to come?" So in other words, when you're listening to myself or any economist or um, you know financial professional. The reality is they do not know the future. You know, we have this uh, in our society now, we call the cult of experts. You know, everyone's, you know, you're a science expert, a climate change. You know, there's all these different experts. But the reality is none of us knows the future. And the Bible makes that, you know, crystal clear. In saying that, there's another great passage in Proverbs that I think adds a slightly different perspective on how we should think about it, though. And that's in Proverbs 22. It says... A sensible man watches for problems ahead and prepares to meet them. The simpleton never looks and suffers the consequences. So the way I think we should think about it then is simply, look, no no one person has the keys in terms of the future. Only, Only God knows the future. However, we can see warning signs. We can see certain things about the future that are likely to impact us. So, you know, a common one that's been talked about for the last 20 years, you know, is the aging population. How does that affect us economically? How is that gonna affect superannuation and future pensions and things like that? So there's a sense where there are big ticket items, I think, that we can see will impact us in the future. And of course, you know, my favourite one for anyone listening who listens in weekly uh, is the level of debt in Western society now is really unprecedented in terms of just the sheer scale of it. And therefore, that will have a consequence in the future. And of course, the million dollar question that everyone wants to know the answer to is when, (laughs) you know, when will rates rise and so forth. So, as I say, the framework for us thinking about this is, look, no one really knows the exact way it's all going to play out. But we can see warning signs, and that's what, as believers, we should be looking for the warning signs, so we can be discerning and we can act wisely and make appropriate uh, preparations uh, based on those signs.
1: Sometimes contrast is good for helping us understand uh, where we're at right now, Alex, and I imagine that given that COVID has made such an impact on the world, what the economy was like before and what the economy might be like post or in the midst of recovery from COVID. Uh, Very quickly here, how do you describe uh, the economy, what it was like before and what we might anticipate?
0: Yeah, look, so I'd break it up into Australia versus international. So in Australia... Australia was what I would call muddling along. Australia has been sort of enviable in the sense that it's had, you know, almost 30 years of uninterrupted growth prior to COVID, even when the GFC hit, our investments got hit, but the actual economy remained relatively robust. Certain sectors obviously were hit, but mostly it remained relatively robust. The thing that was occurring, though, in Australia that I think was a long-term concern prior to COVID is that our GDP per capita was declining. Now, what on earth does that mean? Basically, it means our living standards were declining a little bit every year. So the whole thing of GDP, which stands for gross domestic product, is really the sum of all the activity in the Australian economy. And you expect over time that just increases, Of course, when you get a recession, that does dip a little bit, like what we saw uh, last year, where it dipped quite a bit very quickly. Um, But then there's a second measure to GDP, and that is GDP per capita. That's where you take the size of the economy and you divide it by the average, you know, by the number of people in Australia. And that has been in decline for, for some time. And the simple thing is that in Western culture, uh, particularly here in Australia, we are seeing that slow decline in living standards. Um, And there's a range of reasons for that. But the other big thing that was going on in Australia is low wages growth. So even though you've had sort of skyrocketing house prices for many years, wages growth has been very low. Part of that is driven by we have a huge immigration coming into Australia and so what that does is it suppresses people's wages just because there's so many, there's so much surplus labour and of course that's what they're trying to do again right as we speak. Um, Then you've got America. America on the other hand was booming under Donald Trump. I know a lot of people have very mixed feelings about Donald Trump. We kind of wish he'd stay off Twitter or he's off Twitter now altogether but nonetheless the American economy was actually roaring under him and obviously got hit very hard when COVID hit as well. So Prior to prior to things were muddling along here in Australia,
1: and if we're looking right now at the context of where we are, uh, just you were talking about debt, uh, the way the economy has changed. Uh, a, a quick insight here into what's going on at the moment.
0: Yes, yeah, So the the key word I want to leave for listeners here is the word unprecedented, and the reason why I say that is. When we look at the world and we go out about our daily business, we tend to think of things as being relatively normal, notwithstanding, of course, some of the restrictions on us at the moment. But notwithstanding that, we look at the world as relatively benign and normal. But there's a couple of big things that are going on that are very abnormal. And that first one is just the unprecedented money printing going around the world. You know, Australia, up until um, this current uh, COVID crisis had, hadn't engaged in what they call quantitative easing, which is basically where they print money out of thin air. Uh, they don't physically print it, they do it electronically, but nonetheless, they were, doing, we're now doing it at the rate of something like $300 billion a year, just staggering amounts. And what that does is when you print money, you're actually creating debt because that money has to be uh, it's been lent to governments and is needs to be repaid at some stage in the future. And our debt levels, both household and government, have just gone to the moon in the last eighteen months. And you've seen that with high house prices and so forth. But the reason why I say it's unprecedented is there's a there's a big ideological problem I think we've got in the West uh, amongst our political class, and this applies everywhere. Is that they all want to defer problems to the future. None of them want a recession on their watch. None of them want to take tough decisions to structure the economy for everybody's prosperity longer term. And so they're not willing to allow um, big dips in recessions and that kind of activity, which allow for a cleansing out of the system and for things to revert to a bit more normal. And as a result, what we're doing is we're building up bigger and bigger excesses, bigger and bigger debts, and we're not addressing the issue. We're pushing it into the future. And that is very problematic because at some stage, the piper has to be paid. And that, to me, is what I can see as a big concern. So we do okay. need our politicians to uh, to actually start addressing these real long-term issues. OK.
1: We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Could be on any finance issue, as we do on our Ask Alex segment on a Wednesday. Let's take a call. Anne is in Labrador in Queensland. Hello, Anne. Welcome along.
2: OK. My name is Anne Kershaw. Um, I was going to contribute to put some in my in, um, in my super fund. And then they came up with this work test that um, defined below about, as I'm 67 years old, we have to do work less, 40 hours or 30 consecutive days financial year eligible for concessional or non-concessional contributions. Now, it's not to do with my super, because I, I have a lady who um, I... I, I, who uh, helped me with all of this it's been put in by she said it's been put in by the government can you explain why they would have done that
1: Anne, a good question a thought or two here from Alex Yeah, look, it's a really interesting one. This is a common one I've
0: faced over the years. It's what's called the work test. Once someone... It was previously 65. When you're above 65, you couldn't put money into super unless you're working. Then they changed it to 67 to align it with the age pension. Um, But the good news is from July next year, it's actually been increased again. But this time, so long as you're under 75, you'll be able to contribute without the work test. Now, as Anne mentioned, at the moment, if you're over 67 and you want to put money in this year... You have to satisfy this work test, which is 40 hours worth of work in a 30-day window. Okay, so it could be any any could be any 40 hours in a so long as it's in that 30-day window, you can contribute to super. That's if you're over 67. You have to satisfy that test. Um, so thankfully the government has sort of reviewed it it's been uh, sort of a bugbear of many financial planners like me for for years because it doesn't really make a lot of sense but now as i say from 1 july next year it's going to increase so you can do it up and up until including age 74 which is great news for many people
1: and was that helpful
2: yes i'm just saying that so next year if i wanted to put something in next year I'll, i can put it in at the end of at the beginning of the, the next month uh, in July, after July, I can put it again.
0: Correct. So long as you're under seventy-five. Thank you. As un, as long as you're um, under seventy-five. Yeah. Wonderful well, stuff.
2: I won't be. I won't be over. I. will be seventy-five. I'm seventy-five. I. I, 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 I under 75. OK, thank you. As so long as I'm no not 75, yes. Great.
1: Yeah. and thank yeah. you so much for your call. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Let's come back to predictions for 2022, what's happening with the economies, uh, with what's happening with our own finances. The biggest risk for 2022, Alex. How do you identify that?
0: Yeah, so look... When I look at what's going on around the world at the moment, I look particularly at the US, and the US is relevant because, you know, often you might have heard the expression when the US sneezes, the world catches a cold, right? So (laughs) America being the number one economy in the world, we have to look and see what's going on there. And the big thing in the US is inflation is really starting to become quite problematic. Um, It's over 6% at the moment. Now think about uh, that from a practical point of view. If you've got your money sitting in a bank account earning 1%, but inflation's at 6%, you're earning a negative rate of return after inflation of minus 5%. Okay, so cash, both in Australia and in the US, is earning a negative rate of return. So the big risk is that that inflation flows through into Australia, and we start seeing that uh, you know, in the cost of living here. And we're already seeing house prices, but if it flows through to consumer items and so forth, and gets more expensive here, um, yet we have dampened wages growth, then the risk is that central banks around the world start raising rates. And as you know, house prices over the last 12 months have gone to the moon, up 30% in Sydney, and indeed 20% across most of the country. And if rates start to rise, that's going to cause a lot of trouble for many people that have big mortgages. And of course, the Bible warns us about debt. You know, The Bible says debt can lead to slavery. So if inflation gets out of control and central banks start raising rates to try and stop it, there is a big risk that that will slow down the economy dramatically and people will really struggle to pay their bills and pay their mortgages. So for listeners, the message is very simple. if you've got big debt concentrate on paying it down as quick as you can
1: okay there's something significant that's been happening demographically now for a while uh, with baby boomers uh, getting into their older years a transfer of wealth that goes from that older generation to a younger generation any thoughts there and uh, things that are happening for the new year
0: yeah so look one of the as you say the big trend is this aging population and so a lot of wealth will leave once the baby boomers all start to um, you know pass away and so forth that wealth will be transferred to younger generations but at the moment there's been this sort of Uh, And there's a growing, what I would call, intergenerational war going on, and that is that over the last 12 months, baby boomers have had a huge win. Their assets have gone up dramatically, their super funds, their houses, etc. whereas young people are looking at it and going, wow, boy, is it hard to get into the housing market now. How am I ever going to come up with a deposit? In fact, I think there's a survey that came out a few weeks ago that said for the average uh, person in Sydney, it would take... I think it was seven years or even higher than that just to save for a deposit into a home. So there's this intergenerational tension going on. Now, I think it will correct itself in the passage of time because I think ultimately rates will probably push house prices down and so forth. So I think it will take care of itself but that could be a few years into the future but there's no question that there's this intergenerational warfare going on uh, with the tension about who benefits from economic policies and I think the challenge for political leaders is how do you create economy where everyone can flourish you know people get the benefit of their retirement savings that they've worked hard for and young people can get into affordable housing and at the moment everything's very uneven and there's this growing inequality between the generations and that to me is a social problem that we may have in the future unless politicians can start to address it.
1: Alex running short of time I know that there'll be some who are saying what's something practical I ought to do and I think we've heard you say pay down debt Uh, but preparing for the future and assuming that there might not be all good times ahead uh, coming out of COVID and such things how do you prepare for what 2022 might hold?
0: Yeah, well, look, Australia's had unprecedented prosperity, particularly in the last 30 years and even longer, I would argue. Um, but I think we have to assume that challenging times are likely to arrive at some stage in probably the near future. And therefore, I say to people, there's two things. If you're just an, an individual, you know, you're a PAYG earner, I'd be building my reserves, my cash reserves, my emergency fund, whether it's in a bank account or in an offset account, if you have that kind of thing. Um so that way you've got money for a rainy day if things happen to your job and to your income. If I was a business owner, I'd be preparing for future shocks and maybe looking for adding other income streams. I mean, you know, with all this COVID crisis going on, what's and you look at what's going on in Europe, there's a risk that, and no one wants to hear this, but in the middle of winter next year, maybe we go back into another lockdown. Let's It doesn't happen, but that's a possibility. So prepare for shocks. Assume that things may happen and prepare your finances accordingly. Be optimistic, but also prepare.
1: And uh, I imagine that, you know, when we talk about Christians and finance, uh, let's get spiritual here for a few moments. How might you include God in your financial plan, in the sort of strategies that you might have if you're thinking about what you might be doing next year or trying to speculate? As you say, no one really knows what the future will hold, but we know that God holds the future. So including him in our financial appreciation our plans our strategies how do you suggest people include god in all of that alex
0: oh look there's a few really good simple things we can do here firstly we want to start with the mindset that actually our money's gods anyway and with that money we want to glorify him with it we want to steward the money for his benefit you know Matthew I think 624 says seek first his kingdom sorry 633 it is Six, uh, seek first his kingdom and all these things will be added unto you so the priority of Christians and this is the big transformation i want to see in the west is that we start seeking god's kingdom as our number one priority in our lives and with our finances and when we do that you know god will make our make it clear our paths to go, and he'll take care of those other things. You know, God is the ultimate provider, and so we need to focus on his kingdom and let him take care of the rest. Now, that doesn't mean we don't do our bit, because we've got to do our bit, be responsible, get our money under control, but include him in your financial decision-making. So pray to God before you go and do things, before you go and buy the house or rent the house or buy the car, all these things. Seek God and include him in those decisions, and You know, ask him to guide you and ask him to be very clear about what you should and shouldn't do. Um, And that just comes out of a relationship of walking closely with God, which is what he desires from us anyway, to walk closely.
1: Alex Cook, always such good insights. Uh, Alex is the founder of Wealth With Purpose. You can connect with Alex on the website, wealthwithpurpose.com. There's free resource material there to access. E-books, the My Toolkit, there's free videos and podcast content. You can also connect with Alex and follow him on Facebook and Twitter. And there is an email address, askalex at wealthwithpurpose.com. Alex... Uh, I think we need another segment like this because perhaps uh, approaching a new year, there's so much more we could have covered. So let's uh, make a plan sometime into the next week or two uh, to talk some more about what to expect for the coming year. But thanks so much for being with us once again today on 2020. Pleasure. Thanks, Neil.
2: Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.